Tonight's lecture is called Jewish History, Why? This will be the first of the series. And really before delving into Jewish history, i like to explore, explore tonight, A, the importance of history, B, the importance of Jewish history, and C, a basic framework of history with a Jewish perspective as a whole. Because for those who are going to invest in this class, it's worthwhile to understand why this class, I believe, and we'll, hopefully by the end of tonight you'll, you'll see, in the eyes of the sages, is essential for each of us to know. When we start uh, the actual histor- hist- survey of history next week, we will start with the period right before the destruction of the second base of Migdash, right before the destruction of the second temple. As I mentioned, until then, it's heavily documented both in Tanakh, the 24 books of scripture, and in the Talmud. But once the Chorban happens, much of it is left in the hands of historians. Some of the historians are kosher, others are not. One other important thing about this lecture series, uh, I'm not planning to take questions. I'm happy and I encourage all questions after the class, but as a history major and a former law school student, I know that with this kind of subject matter, many of the questions are personal. Almost always the questions could distract from the lecture itself, take off course, and very often it's tiresome to those who don't have the questions. So I really encourage questions. I encourage intellectual observation, analyzation, but I'm going to put the questions, I'll stay here as long as we need afterwards, within reason, um, to answer all questions that come up. So the first question I would like to ask tonight is, should we study history at all? And why? The most famous reason to study history is to learn for the past. As Shlomo HaMelech, as King Solomon says in Kohelis, Ein Chodosh Tachas Hashemesh. There is nothing new under the sun. And if there is nothing truly novel, if there is nothing that never happened in any level from, from before, then we can learn from the past. And in fact, if we don't learn from the past, then in a sense we are being negligent, we are being reckless with our present and with our future. To quote the famous Spanish philosopher and his famous aphorism, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, George Santiano. Unfortunately, many people, many politicians, many individuals, fail to study the past or to be more specific fail to inculcate the lessons, the mistakes of the past George Bernard Shaw who is a well-known noble laureate, Irish playwright critic, political activist and was a contemporary of Santiana actually said a little bit better he said Hegel was right when he said the only thing that we learn from history is that man can never learn anything from history. <laughs> in other words, we very often, even in our own lives, it's funny, the Bali Musr always say that if you want to grow in life, look at the mistakes we made previously. I mean, the best way to grow is to look at our own personal mistakes and learn from them. It's much easier to learn from other people's mistakes <laughs> than to have to make the mistakes ourselves. So, a person, there's an idea to learn history to see both on a macro and micro level what we can learn from it. 
But there's a much deeper reason to learn, to learn history in general. And that is to know thyself. I'm going to quote several quotes. Tonight I'm going to be a little bit quote heavy, but I think it's important just for this lecture. Look at source number one with the following two quotes. The History Guide. To know yourself means to be aware of what it is that makes you who you are. And in this respect, the one thing which reveals this knowledge is history. Quote number two is from the American Council of Trustees and Alumni. They wrote a pamphlet in the early 90s. The American Council of Trustees and Alumni is a progressive 501c3. In the early 90s, there was something called Losing America's Memory, which was really a, a lament on the failure of the educational system in America to teach American students um, American history. And they say as follows, It is sometimes said that historical facts do not matter, but citizens who fail to know basic landmarks of history and civics are unlikely to be able to reflect on their meaning. They fail to recognize the unique nature of our society and the importance of preserving it. In other words, Santiano's remarks previously are very true. A big part of history is learning from previous mistakes, whether personal or much more preferable others. However, there is a much more essential and profound reason to study history. And that is to know, to know thyself. If a person doesn't know where they came from, they cannot know who they are. Could you imagine if tomorrow morning one of us, any of us, would wake up and we didn't know who our parents were. We didn't know who our siblings were. We didn't know who our friends were. We didn't know what our favorite foods were. We didn't know what our favorite hobbies are. We didn't know where we like to go on vacation. Would we, be able, would we be able to make good decisions? If we knew no, nothing of our past, how could we make decisions in the present or in the future? If a person truly wants to understand the existential question of who am I, well then really a person has to know really where they came from. So history, in general, helps a person really understand who they are. And if you want to understand Ashkenazic Jews from Hungary, if you want to understand Jews from Borough Park, we got to know a little bit about their history, not only in America, but you got to go back 100, 200 years. If you want to understand Persian Jews, then you have to look back at their history, because they are a product, not only of their own personal self, but a lot of factors that go into their persona. But that, to be honest, is history as a whole. That's why an American should study American history, why a Mexican should study Mexican history, why somebody from Great Britain should study the history of Great Britain. But I'd like to give five reasons tonight why it's important for each one of us to study Jewish history. Number one, reason number one is to remembering who we are. Look at source number two on the source book. As is by Czech historian Milan Jubal in Milan Kalandra's The Book of Laughter and Forgetting. This book, actually, the author, who is not Jewish, won the Jerusalem Prize for Literature in the mid-80s. He was a famous Czech author. He says, source number two, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history. They then have somebody write new books, 
manufacture a new culture, invent a new history, before long the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. The world around it will forget even faster. I remember when I was in the University of Pennsylvania in the law school, when I first started teaching Jewish students, and I really did a lot of these students were brilliant minds. I mean, people who in law school, school knew not only you know, the, the basics of American history. They could tell you the details. They, they memorized the 44 presidents of the time. They could have told you all of their policies, what legal decisions they made. They were fluent in, 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 in the vast scope of American history. But when it came to Jewish history, these were Jews, brilliant-minded Jews. They knew nothing. They knew two events probably at the most, and that was the Holocaust and the foundation of the State of Israel. Most of them never heard, I mean, most 99%, including the conservative reform, never heard of Rashi, never heard of Tosfus, didn't know almost anyone from the Talmud, but for maybe, if you're lucky, Rabbi Akiva, Never heard of Chalmanitsky and the pogroms that went on in the 17th century. Never heard of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, or the Vilna Gaon, the leader of the Yeshiva movement. They were ignorant beyond belief about the basics of Jewish history. Many of them didn't even know that Isaiah, Yechezkel, and Yirmiyahu were Jewish prophets. They thought they were Christians. <laughs> That's how pathetic their background in history is. The first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory. Sometimes it's from the outside. Unfortunately for many Jews today who don't have an inkling of who they are, the assimilation rate among non-Orthodox Jews under 40 is over 70% of an intermarriage. Largely, Jews not knowing anything about their past. The second reason to study Jewish history is, believe it or not, the student of Jewish history will truly understand world history. Rabbi Berlain, I heard him say this many years ago, he said when he started teaching history, he asked the, one of the greatest sages of the generation, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, what should be his basic theme? What should be the theme in all of his history classes? And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky told him, Hakol Bishvil Yisrael that everything happens because of the Jewish people. If you look at world history, you will always find the Jews involved. I mentioned this Sunday morning, I'll re- reiterate it now, that Ramati Berger, who is a famous <laughs> speaker for Eishat Torah in Jerusalem, in the 1980s he was living in Baltimore, he's a student of Neri Yisrael, and he had a Chinese artist stay in his house for several weeks. He was on a program from China and he stayed in his house, I think it was in John Hopkins. And after a couple of weeks, this Chinese artist asked Rabbi Berger, he said, I've been reading the American papers and there are three countries I see consistently in the news. Two I heard of, and one's new to me. Soviet Union, it's the time of the Soviet Union, United States and Israel. What is this country Israel? So Ray Berger tells him, you've come to the right place. <laughs> Shows it on a map, little dots on the map, little, little dots somewhere in the Middle East on the map. And he says, how many people live there? Four million at the time. Now there's seven million. Four million people. He said, in the last census of China, there were over one billion, one hundred million people, with a margin of error of 48 million people. <laughs> So he said, the margin of error of China was 12 times the Jewish population of Israel. Why in the world is Israel on the front page consistently of the world news? And the answer is, is because we're always on the front page. 
We'll see a beautiful quote later on tonight by Professor Houston Smith, which will really emphasize this point. But for now, let's look at source three. Source three is by Christian historian Paul Johnson in his classic work, A History of the Jews. Paul Johnson is a Roman Catholic professor of New York, wrote numerous books on history and other um, books of literature as well. Jewish history covers not only vast tracts of time, but huge areas. Jews have penetrated many societies and left their mark on all of them. Writing a history of the Jews is almost like writing a history of the world. But from a highly peculiar angle of vision, is the world history seen from the viewpoint of a learned and intelligent victim. Source 4, John Adams, second president of the United States of America. This was in response partially to Voltaire, who had a more of a negative, he's a cynic, for those who've ever read Voltaire, he was a cynic, he was a misanthrope, <laughs> and he had, he had some harsh words to say about the, uh, about the Jews. But look at the number source for John Adams. I will insist the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than any other nation. If I was an atheist and believed in blind, eternal fates, I should still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing nation, the nations. They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a bubble in comparison to the Jews. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. When John Adams penned these words in 1806, there were approximately 3,500 Jews in the United States of America. This is way before even he himself would have seen first-hand Jewish influence. But just looking at history, just looking at the effect of Jewry on all of world thought, on all of world religion, of all of world history, he was able to make such an outstanding statement. Reason number three, why we should all learn Jewish history, and this is for anyone in general, and that is there a purpose of life. I once saw a fascinating statement that it's only worth it to live if there's a reason to die for. If there's nothing to die for, there's nothing to live for. If there is nothing to die for, there's nothing to live for. If there is a purpose of life, Jewish history as a whole shows the Jewish message, as I spoke about this past Shabbos, is that we have a purpose. And we are the beacons of this pur- purpose to the world. Look at again Paul Johnson in his prologue. Well, from the beginning. Why have I written a history of the Jews? The book gave me the chance to reconsider objectively in the light of a study covering nearly 4,000 years the most intractable of all human questions. What are we on earth for? Is history merely a series of events whose sum is meaningless? Is there no fundamental moral difference between the history of the human race and, say, the history of the ants? Or is there a providential plan of which we are, however, humbly the agents? No people has ever insisted more firmly than the Jews that history has a purpose and humanity a destiny. Go to the bottom, on the underline. The Jews, therefore, stand right at the center of the perennial attempt 
attempt to give human life the dignity of a purpose. And you'll see over and over again in Jewish history, that is the message of Jewish history. Reason number four, which to me, I'll be honest, my own study of history really came from this, and that is the wonder of Jewish survival, the triumph of this survival, and the strengthening of faith, that when a person studies Jewish history, they're able to get. Source number six, which is probably, arguably one of the more famous sources I'm going to quote tonight, is Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, and the end of the quote in bold, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian roads filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise. And they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in twilight now, or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are more mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? When you really ponder, Twain was an agnostic. He was a self-proclaimed agnostic. For him to be asking the questions of immortality of the Jews is mind-boggling. I wrote once, an, an, uh, uh, many years ago, uh, a paper, a very large paper, comparing three works of Twain. And you see his cynicism all over. You see he was a complete agnostic. And even Twain, who is an astute individual, is able to look at the Jews and say, what is the secret of their immortality? His contemporary, source number seven, was not an agnostic. Leo Tolstoy, of course, was one of the great, arguably the greatest Russian author, very pious Russian Orthodox Jew, early communist in theory also. Um, so, look at the last three lines. The Jew is the symbol of eternity. When Leo Tolstoy is writing these words, parenthetically, the Jews were under constant degradation of Russia. You have to imagine they were the low of the low. A Jewish blood was cheap. They were they were persecuted. They were scorned. And he's writing these these words. These words. The Jew is a symbol of eternity. He is the one for so long had guarded the prophetic message and transmitted it to all mankind. A people such as this can never disappear. The Jew is eternal. He is the embodiment of eternity. Source eight. Now, Professor Thomas Kills also, he's a Roman Catholic. He actually, when he wrote this book, The Gift of the Jews, he learned Hebrew to be able to write, read, read the Bible. He's a professor in, in several universities in New York. He went to JTS for a, for a semester to study Judaism as well. And then he wrote this book called The Gifts of the Jews. It's a great book. If a person wants a good read on Jewish history by a, a Roman Catholic historian, Thomas Gill. The Jews start, let's by the bold. First he asked the question, could you, and this is a serious question, could you imagine when Abraham started, as I spoke about this past Shabbos, lonely in the world, if he would have went around, people would have projected where he would have ended up. He would have been laughed at. Score, no one in a million years could have imagined he would have accomplished anything. He ends off, the Jews started it all, and by it, I mean so many of the things we care about. 
the underlying values that make all of us, Jew and Gentile, believer and atheist, tick. Without the Jews, we would see the world through different eyes, hear with different ears, even feel with different feelings. We would think with a different mind, interpret all of our experience differently, draw different conclusions from things that befall us, and we would set a different course for our lives. Verse number nine, I mentioned the Yaakov Kamenetsky told me, better line, that everything happens because of the Jews. If you look at all of world history, you're going to see the Jews involved. Professor Houston Smith, I think he lived in Berkeley for a while. Of course, he's a fam- famous book, The Religions of Man. If you take any comparative religion co- course, contemporary, you'll, take, you'll study Professor Houston Smith. So he, the, the quote in Source 9, he remarks, wherever you find the power and the focus of the world, you'll find the Jews. Wherever the Jews are, world history is being made. <laughs> when they're in Spain, it's in Spain. When they're in Germany, it's in Germany. When they're in England, it's in England. Wherever they are, it's, they are in the center of history. Look at the last two lines. I didn't bold it. And now, to, uh, the rise of the United States to the leading power, world power found Judaism focused there. And now today, when the pendulum seems to be swinging back towards the old world, and the East rises to renewed importance, there again are the Jews in Israel. A hundred years ago, today, everyone talks about the Middle East, and now it's forgetting the Israel peace process. The Middle East as a whole, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq, Iran, they're all in the world news constantly. A hundred years ago, they were page 37 every day, if they made the newspaper. They were irrelevant. They, no one cared. There was no oil there. There was no terrorism. They had no real purpose in the world almost. Everything revolved around Europe and the United States at that point 100 years ago. And the Middle East was, was, was really a nobody's radar. All of a sudden, the Jews start trickling back to Eretz Israel. The Middle East gains importance again. Wherever the Jews are, we never lived in the middle of Uganda. <laughs> no thanks to Herschel but we never because right. Uganda will not, and had we lived in the middle of Uganda guess what Uganda yeah. would be in the world news because wherever Klal Yisrael is wherever the Jewish people are world history is going to be made around us wherever we are wherever we go all of this for the student of Jewish history for the careful student of Jewish history it could only strengthen our faith it could only strengthen our amuna. Look at source number 10. This is from the Maritz Chis of Tzvihar Shabrodi, great 19th century sage. No sensible person would deny the knowledge of the history of our nation is je- in general and in, de- in detail is indispensable for every intelligent person who's portioned with God's Torah so that he may know that God, what ha, know that God did with his nation, how the people of our nation always rise and fall under led by God's particular providence, and that in every generation they rise up to annihilate us, and at all time God appoints a faithful Savior who endangers his life to save this great multitude. Great is a shepherd who saves them. When you look at the Jewish people, you look at history, you can't but be inspired and see God's hand watching us over constantly. I always remark Sunday morning, and you think about Israel, the Jewish people in Israel, is the same population as the Bay Area. (laughs) 
Can you imagine the population of the Bay Area against the entire North, South America, and Europe together? That's what Israel's against when they're against the Muslim world. Can you imagine the little Israel, the landmass that goes from Morocco all the way to Pakistan against it? It's mind-boggling how you look at the Jewish people and you see in every generation how Hashem watches over us and how despite it all we thrive. Rabbi Yaakov Emden, famous 18th century sage of Amsterdam, we'll get to him in the... 15, 16 weeks from now, that he was one of the greatest prosecutors of anyone who had anything to do with Shabtai Tzvi. He was, a, he was a son of the Chacham Tzvi. He, in fact, would have, there would be a big controversy between him and his fellow rabbi from Amsterdam, also a great sage, and Tzadik, Rabbi Yonis and Eibschitz, and that would lead to a huge fight, but that's in a long time from now. Rabbi Yaakov Emden had a famous sitter, Actually, Feldheim translated the sitter. If you ever want to see a beautiful explanation of many things, the sitter, Rabbi Yaakov Emden's Base Yaakov is a classic. And he writes in his Hakdama, in his introduction to the sitter, he talks about his own faith, and he says as follows. He said, when you really think about Sinai, mass revelation, the only time in history, you really can't make it up. It's in, when you just stop and think about mass revelation, it, like the Rambam, like Maimonides says, it's the greatest boost for faith. But he says, personally, for myself, when I look at Jewish history, and I see, after generation of generations, God's providence over us, and how in every country where we went, we were under attack, whether it was physically or whether spiritually. Now, today in America, whether it's benign or malicious, malignant, malicious, we are under spiritual attack. We are in an antithetical culture. If we believe we're, we're in a country, culture that's easy for us, we're in bad shape because you would not be aware of all of the tests that are out there. So we're also under an attack. Our, our values are under attack. We're under attack from a world that we can't exactly say is our world. As in every generation, how the Jewish people thrive despite it when you look at it and he wrote this in, the, in, in before the Holocaust before Jews came back to Israel before there were 22% of all Nobel Prize winners in the, in the 20th century being Jews despite being 0.025% of the world population he wrote this before any of these things happened before the Jews were emancipated and they had changed the world's economics literature politics uh, entertainment industries if you just look at the Jews, you, you can only be strengthened in faith. Believe it or not, famous story. But recently, I, I, someone said it wasn't true, and then I, I actually saw it, he wrote it, so it's definitely true. Louis the Fourteenth. Louis the Fourteenth was a radical Catholic. He w- built Versailles. He was a pompous fool. He was also probably the greatest dictator, monarch of the 17th century. Louis the Fourteenth backstabbed the Protestants and the Huguenots. Pretty much, if you look at world history, he put England into the Glorious Revolution. But Louis XIV, despite being a radical Catholic, once asked Pascal, can you prove me God? Could you prove me? Give, me? give me a proof of God. And Pascal said, the Jews, Your Majesty, the Jews. Right? There were ba- barely any Jews. His father, Louis XIII, had kicked out Jews out of most of France. For the, I don't know how much time time in France. The first expulsion of the Jews was in 1290 in France. And they were expelled numerous times from numerous parts of France after that. 
he, he, and Louis, Blaise Pascal told me, actually Blaise Pascal writes this in his work Pensies. In fact, he has a whole long work, I don't want to bring the quote, about the Jews themselves, of how amazing it is to see the Jews survive in history. So reason number four is to see the wonder of the Jews of history and to strengthen our faith. Because if we could appreciate the miracle that each one of us are here today, that we have a, a traditional religious show here in Antioch today, it's nothing less than miraculous. It's nothing less than miraculous. When you have Russian Jews in the room today, <laughs> when you have Russian Jews in the room today, after Trotsky and Stalin and, and, and Khrushchev, it's nothing less than miraculous. Reason number five, this is going to be source number ten, dealing with the challenges of today. Rabbi Wine, he has, a tr- tr- um, he has three books, Echoes of Glory, Herald of Destiny, and Triumph of Survival. Echoes of Glory is on the first period of Jewish history. So he says as follows, A perspective of thousands of years of Jewish and world history is essential for viewing the events and challenges of current Jewish and general life intelligently and wisely. People need heroes to identify with, historical events to remember, and a feeling of continuity to gain the security necessary for productive and meaningful lives. The story of the Jewish people over the millennia will provide these requisite heroes, events, challenges, and lessons. So different than Santiana. Santiana is to learn from history, from our past, not to make the mistakes. But what Wine is really saying, if you want to make intelligent Jewish decisions, you've got to know Jewish history. If you want to deal with Jews, if you want to understand Jews, I grew up with grandparents who are Holocaust survivors. You cannot understand my grandparents. You cannot understand my parents. And at some level, you probably cannot understand me without knowing there was a Holocaust. Right? We all, in order to make decisions for the future, for the Jewish people, you got to understand who we're dealing with. When you talk about Israel, you know, if you don't know anything about the Arab wars, <laughs> and you want to make a peace process... Well, you're going to be making a, you're going to be making a lot of mistakes. In order to make decisions in the future, you have to know why did the Jews go back to Israel? What propelled us to go back there after so many years? Right? Why are the Jews who believe that Israel is the greatest thing that ever happened? Why are the Jews are against? These are all based not on present day realities, but heavily based on history as well. And we want to make present day decisions where well, we really got to deal with the history as well. So to deal with our challenges of today, we have to be a student of history. So just to summarize before we go further, there are two main reasons to learn world history, general history, and that is one, to learn from the past, and two, to know thyself. I mean, again, imagine if we'd wake up in the morning not knowing who our parents, our siblings, our relatives, our foods, how would we have any idea who we are? And there are five reasons in particular to study Jewish history. Number one, remembering who we are. Think about all those assimilated Jews who are so clueless of who we are. And they don't even, it doesn't bother them to marry out, it doesn't bother them to do anything because they don't know anything. They have no appreciation of what it is to be a Jew. A brilliant mind. It's, it's the most remarkable thing that Jews can know everything but what it is the history of Jews. Number two, if you want to understand world history, if you want to know what, what, where the fulcrum of the world is, you got to look at Jewish history. It, you, you, Jewish history and world history are going to go in tandem. Number three, purpose of life. Jewish history constantly shows that life has a purpose. 
There is, and that's why, we're not going to go into this today, that one of the 13 principles of faith is Messiah. And you look at the Jewish principles of faith, why is Mashiach so essential? Why, is, why isn't Shabbos on there? Why isn't Kashrus on there? Why Mashiach? Because Mashiach tells us that all the world, this world, not the next world, this world is going in a direction. This world, the world we're in today, has a purpose. We're going to end up somewhere, hopefully, speedily in our days. Reason number four. The wonder of Jewish survival and a person who studies Jewish history every time I, I, I was a history major I, I read in my free time Jewish history I can only say that for myself and many others you can only be strengthened by Jewish history and number five if you want to be a Jewish leader you want to be a person who understands Jews you got to know history to deal with the challenges of today now next question okay there's a good reason to study history but really how important is Jewish history in other words, do Torah st- scholars favor studying Jewish history? The litmus test, you ask me, someone who's studied yeshivas for many years, okay, is Jewish history a, a bidyevid? Something we'll just do, it's a necessary evil, maybe, you know, just get, uh, get, like you need to learn English to be able to write a paper, you need, you need to do math to hopefully, you know, calculate your paycheck. Get no Jewish history, because you got no Jewish history, or is it is an ideal? And then really, when you look in the Torah world, the, the litmus test is, what do they tell a Torah scholar? As a scholar who is focused on Torah say, is Jewish history a focus? Is it something we should study? Or is it just something if you want to do for five minutes every ten years, it's just to know the basics of it? Is Jewish history important, really, as far as Torah scholars are concerned? So obviously, some of our most important mitzvahs, customs, um, and study is based on Jewish history, the Haggadah. Okay, right, all the say, you know, most of the Haggadah is studying Jewish history. Sukkot, of course, is remembering that we were intense. The fast days, what, really think what the fast days are. We're remembering the, the temple wall got broken this day, and these five things happened on Shivas of Thomas, the seventeenth of Thomas, and other things happened on Tishabov that we got the, both temples destroyed, expelled from Spain. So all of the fast days are marking Jewish history. Bikurim, if you look in Devarim Chavav Aleph, Deuteronomy 26.1, the first fruits discuss, we mention our history when you offer the first fruit, fruits. Devarim Chavhei Yudzayim, Deuteronomy 25.17, Amalek, we, we mention what they did to us. Let's look back at history to understand why we want to destroy Amalek. Certainly, if somebody studies Torah, Tanakh, Talmud, Medrash, Kabbalah, many historical facts are discussed. The works of the Arizal are heavily based on biblical figures and on history. But really, if you look at, skip to source 15, that's really the Torah's um, command to learn history. Dvarim, Lamed Beis, Zion to test, Deuteronomy 32, 7 to 9, Zuchor, Yemois, Oilom. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will declare unto thee, thine elders, and they will tell thee. Hey, my old Rosh Hashiva Hagar and Rabzelik Epstein, a blessed memory. He explained to me that this verse doesn't mean just to study history. It means to learn from history. To study and to gain Musa from history. In fact, the Shulchan Aruch, 
the code of Jewish law, based on Toysfus, one the foremost commentators on the Talmud, says, just to memorize kings and wars is the thing of scoffers. If people don't care about time. Just to memorize dates, just to memorize kings and dates. I remember when I was younger, they made us memorize all the American presidents. What you gain from that, I'm not sure. If we would have learned what the American presidents do, <laughs> and what we could learn from them, then that's something to be, t- to be taught. But to memorize dates and numbers and figures, really that doesn't gain us that much. But if we study history in order to learn from it, that's Zuchori Olam. That's to remember the days of old. Listen to the words of Rav Hirsch. If you want to look it up, it's in Devarim, Dalet, Lamed Beis, Deuteronomy 4.32, that we must listen to history with the ears of the prophet Isaiah, and that both history and science serve as important function in knowing God. The Chazon Ish, the foremost sage in post-World War II Israel, and his classic work, Muna Vitachan, agrees as chronicles and historical occurrences greatly help the Torah scholar in his pursuits and it should base his wisdom on past developments. Hey, if a person wants to be knowledgeable, wants to understand, Jew, understand Torah and be a, a vibrant, passionate Jew, I, you know, I, people I, I, that in my own experience, people who learn most of from Jewish history, who appreciate what it means to be a Jew, realize God's hand in everything we do, they feel God's hand on a constant basis in the, in, in the present. Somebody who can see God in the past and learn from the past, they, they learn and they live in the present. And he, they're able to see the divine providence in their, in their own lives as well. There's another reason that we should be learning Jewish history. And that the Torah scholar said that as well. Chaim Ozer Kaczynski was the greatest worldwide Jewish sage, died 1940, right before the Russians re-entered Lithuania, uh, right after actually the Russians entered Lithuania, before the Germans um, backstabbed on the Stalin, uh, on the route Molotov, Rilbetrop Pact and backstabbed Germany um, so Chaim Ozer said in his preface Takdama to Lipschitz's book, which is one of the first books in Lithuania to counter secular Jewish historians because when the early Zionists and the communists, talk about secular Zionists, came about, one of the things they manipulated was Jewish history, of course. I, I remember going to on my on my first days with my with with the Rebbetzin. So he went to the Jewish Museum. I chose I thought Jewish Museum, History Museum, it's a great idea. I didn't realize until I went there that New York City is under the JTS, and I found it remarkable. You like you look from Moshe till the 19th century, everything is with from. Torah, Maimonides, and Rashi, people familiar names. Also in the 19th century, it was Mendelssohn, and Vision Chasti Judaism, and Haggadahs, which I don't rec- didn't recognize like the gay lovers of Haggadah, and the communist movement Haggadah, and the kibbutz worker Haggadah, and of course the kibbutz worker Haggadah talked about how God freed us to work the land and build a secular state. And the communist Haggadah talked about how God freed us in order to be communists. And, it, and, and history was being manipulated. So if Chaim Moser wrote that every Jew, religious Jew, has to know history and is able to fight against the falsifiers, both Christian and Jewish. The Gedul Yitzhara was a great 19th century rov in Germany. It's the same thing there. That the reform rabbis were using history to convince the masses 
that they were right, that Judaism is dead. Right? Reform, of course, we'll get there eventually, believes that Judaism is not a divinely inspired religion. So they were using, trying to use it with historical background. And Bible criticism, Jew, attacks in Jewish history, were part and parcel of that. Okay, very important question. Because if we're going to learn from history, well, the question has to be asked, is history accurate? Right? And if you read a Russian textbook of World War II 30 years ago, I'm positive it would have been different than an American textbook 30 years ago about World War II. Okay? So is history accurate? I remember I was a history major in Yeshiva University. I was fortunate actually to win the, the university's history award upon graduation. And my first class in world history, my professor Marin gets up and he quotes Immanuel Kant. And he said that history is the tricks we play with the dead. What was Kant saying? History is the tricks we play with the dead. Which means we can manipulate history. The Russian textbook, now Russia is not a great example because they manipulated everything. Right? They were a police state. But anyone can manipulate history. I recently got a book of American history by a liberal organization and they had their take I can be positive that if a conservative organization from Texas put out the same book they would have a different take so you can there is the history play with the dead the tricks you play with the dead and there is wiggle room to prove your point source number 11 Professor Richard Evans now I just as a a side note Professor Richard Evans is the foremost authority on the Nazi Third Reich his court has nothing to do with that. He was the star witness in the Irving uh, Lipstadt trial. For those who know, that was when David Irving was prosecuted for Holocaust denial and lost. Deborah Lipstadt, who's a professor in Emory University, Jewish lady, um, was, she actually, he, she accused him of Holocaust denial. He sued her, and then he lost the trial. Richard Evans was the for, was one of the witnesses, the main witness for the defense for Lipstadt, um, and he sh- proved that David Irving was and is a Holocaust denier. Denier. Look at source number eleven. However, the discovery of the existing pieces does set quite severe limits on the operation of our imagination. So, yes, history are the tricks we play with the dead. There is room to, to prove what you would like to an extent, but it's limited. It's limited. It's, it's, not, it's not a free-for-all. You can't say that the Russians landed in America in 1850. Maybe you can say it in Alaska, actually. But if you, don't, if you leave Alaska, sorry, you, you can't make up things like that. Right? You can't say that George Washington was the 14th president of the United States. We have too much historical evidence not that way. Right? That history is also defined. The American Heritage Dictionary consistently when they translate history it says history is the branch of knowledge that records and analyzes past events, which shows really, especially modern day history. We have many past events, many historical facts. We, there's, it's a limit of how a person can manipulate it. But I love source number 12. Look at the source number 12. So why did the Roman Empire fail? Fall. Don't expect any one reason to suffice. 
We're talking about a 500 year plus empire here. It has incorporated many cultures, depending on a vast network of trade, tried to defend many borders, and recently switched religions, sort of. Of course, Constantine converted at the, it, towards the, in the 4th century, converted the Roman Empire to Christianity. Expect a cluster of reasons. Expect scholars to argue over which regions were more important. Expect complexity. And yet, all interpretations are not created equal. Some are more cogent than others. Some have more evidence in their favor. Some are false and some are lies. Even though history is more than a bunch of fact, facts, evidence still counts for a lot. I brought before Tolstoy, Twain, Cahill, um, Johnson, and others, Pascal, all recognizing the divine in Jewish history. It's interesting, if you look at some secular Jewish historians, they refuse to admit it. Because if you want to show that we're just like all the nations, you want to take that divine out. So, I would challenge anyone, as they're going through this course, look up everything. Investigate it. The facts are all that a person who analyzes Jewish history with, it, with, with, with open eyes can only be convinced of seeing the divine hand. And I'm going to see in particular, obviously as an Orthodox sorry, I would argue the divine hand of Torah. That no matter what, Torah in every country, in every place, despite immeasurable odds, will not only survive, but ultimately thrive. Will not only survive, but ultimately, sometimes it takes 50 years like in America, but ultimately will thrive. And the last part, part of tonight is essential to understand the, uh, the Jewish perspective, the Torah perspective of history. Source number 13. It is interesting to note that the Bible itself, in recording the great sweep of history over more than a millennia, deals not with historical, abstract, impersonal forces that push individuals around into the corners of the story, but rather it depicts almost exclusively the stories and lives of individuals. And it is clear from the biblical narrative that these individuals, through the exercise of their divinely granted freedom of will, create the events and policies that we call history. To a great extent, Marxism absolves humans from any responsibility for their actions. It postulates that things must happen in a certain way and that humans are powerless to stem that tide or defeat those forces that guide history. I, I, I can't tell you how often people tell me, and that's why I kind of wanted to po- point out the Shabbos, that America, we can't do anything. It's just, everything's just meant to happen. It's, the societies make it get more and more and more less traditional, less family values. Right? You can't affect so-and-so. Nothing can be affected. Right? Judaism, however, postulated that God grants humans ultimate free will, and freedom of action and behavior makes humans responsible and acutely accountable for decisions, behaviors, policies, and actions. Thus, humans, individuals like you and me, are the true creators of history and its events. The individual is not a passive pawn in shaping events that affect human life. Rather, humans are the active catalyst that create events 
and propels the story of human history onwards. If you look at source number 14, of course, it's the famous Rambam, Hilchas Tshuva, Gimel Ches, the Rambam, Maimonides' laws of repentance, that our deeds as an individual, each one of us, we have to view ourselves as we could tip the world to the better or the worse. And really, we look at history as not as what God did, as what human beings did. Uh, we could affect the world. And when we start next week with the Romans, we'll see immediately that when the sages view the destruction of the temple, they don't talk about the powerful armies of Rome. They don't talk about Augustus and Tiberius and Caligula and eventually Vespasian and Tertitus. They look at what the Jewish people are doing. Because ultimately, that will affect Jewish history, and as we discussed tonight, world history as well. And that will start next week. Thank you.